0: Welcome to the Evolving Advisor Podcast, dedicated to equipping independent financial advisors with the tips, insights, and knowledge to help you achieve success in business and life. Host Jeff Concepcion shares 30 years of experience as an advisor, entrepreneur, and CEO. Join Jeff and the industry's top thought leaders as they help you evolve from where you are today to where you want to be tomorrow. Now, here's your host, Jeff Concepcion.
1: Jeff Concepcion is solely an investment advisor representative of Stratus World Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. The opinions voiced in this podcast are for general information only and are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual. To determine which strategies or investments may be suitable for you, consult the appropriate qualified professional prior to making a decision. Mark Roman and Veritas Boston Wealth Management are not affiliated with or endorsed by LPL Financial.
0: Hi, this is Jeff Concepcion, and welcome to the Evolving Advisor podcast. I'm very, very pleased to have a good friend of mine joining us today, uh, Mark Roman, who is the president of Veritas based in Hingham, Massachusetts. And Mark's had a really interesting career spanning wirehouses and leadership and team development, and has just brought great success to not only his firms that he's served in the past, but also the team that he's assembled today as the president and founder of Veritas. Um, Again, they're based in Hingham, Massachusetts, and I've been privileged to have him as a partner at Stratos Wealth Partners uh, just for the last couple of years now, and been very interesting to see and understand Mark's leadership style, uh, the focus that he has to help his clients not only in asset management, but in debt management, retirement, planning, education, forecasting for their retirement and goals, as well as trust and estate work. Again, prior to that, 25 years at Merrill Lynch allowed him to do a lot of interesting stuff, not only developing his own team, but helping develop that firm in the region as well. Mark had an interesting stint at the Detroit Tigers, as did a good friend of mine from college. We'll have to find out whether or not they ever crossed paths. In addition, he graduated from the College of Holy Cross in Worcester, Mass., and resides in Norwell, Massachusetts, with his family currently, five daughters, which would be a handful, actually a literal handful, all five. So welcome, buddy. Thank you for joining us
2: thanks for having me, jeff. it's It's good to be here. Good to be chatting with you and and thanks for a wonderful intro. but i'll I'll jump right out of the gate and say that you certainly don't do it alone. I have not done it alone. I've got great people around me and other founding members and frank and kevin and and others. So you can't do it alone. and I'm just glad that they're along for the ride and helping me stay out of harm's way. So thanks for uh, and
0: and that's one of the things that's one of the things I want to dig into today because I think, you know, The difference is we've talked about many times in the podcast prior of moving from an advisor to a CEO is surrounding yourself with talent. And you've done that really well and you've done it thoughtfully. So I'm going to want to get to that. And I'm just going to throw out and I can't imagine you you would. But does the name Tyler Barnes ring a bell from your time with the Detroit Tigers?
2: Uh, Sorry, but no. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Cross a lot of names, but unfortunately not Tyler. And maybe we'll uh, swap notes sometime in the future
0: there you go there you go that was a college buddy of mine who worked there just for uh, a few years i think so so why don't we dig in and kind of go back to the beginning some folks intended to be in this industry and others stumbled into it can you talk a little bit about your path that led you into wealth management
2: uh yeah i'd say that i was a little bit uh in the the lucky camp i was 24 years old and after i'd gotten out of a short stint in some baseball professionally I had no idea what I was going to do, had no idea what industry was going to be right. And thankfully, I did take the right step in talking to a variety of people in different industries to understand what they did. I stumbled into the wealth and management or financial advisory or brokerage industry, I guess you'd best call it at the time. And I also went through some self-reflection that just helped me put pen to paper as to, you know, who I was, what my interests were, where my skill sets were, what I didn't like. And that did steer me in the right direction, at least. And apparently it worked out pretty well, you know, having now been in the business for 27 years and really loving every minute of it. So that's how I got into the business. Initially had no idea, but again, got lucky through, some good collaborative efforts from advice and counsel and self-reflection.
0: So I think the industry is pretty challenging to get started in. When you don't have a client base and you're developing and you're kind of building, Can you talk about, did you enter on a team? Did you start off as kind of a solo advisor and trainee? And do you have any remembrances? It's a long time. As you said, 27 years, do you have any remembrances of what it was like launching? And if there was a client or an event that made you think yeah I can survive I can do this and get it done any stories come to mind
2: well I think if you ask anybody that has traveled through the wirehouse world if they remember the inception circumstances and stories they will all say by god we did we we never forgot and I don't think it was any particular type of venue or uh, career networking event that took place, it was just, I, I knew that after talking with a, dump, a number of advisors, this is what I wanted to do. They had an entrepreneurial spirit, a work ethic, a communication skill set that I just really liked. I aspired to be in that same category. So I took a plunge and... um started working as an advisor with Merrill Lynch. And it was basically a numbers game at the time and the landscape then was just, Hey, who can cold call as, as much as anybody else, if not more 12, 13 hours a day, and go try to find some clients that you could convince to work with you and just keep doing that time and time and time again, to create some of a practice that just kept you in the game, kept you, you know, getting a paycheck and, it was really a, a, a motto or a, a philosophy of the survival of the hardest working and the fittest. And that was a challenge that I took to heart and I wanted to deliver on. So I do remember the early years of of trying to build a, a practice. And, and I won't forget any of those stories for sure.
0: <laughs> yeah, it's funny when you say that if you talk to any advisor who started in that way, and I did as well, by the way, that they'll remember it vividly. And the joke I wanted to insert was despite, you know, a lot of money and hours and time and counseling, trying to forget how difficult it was to pick up the phone and dial and dial, because it's really, really not easy to get started. But the prospects are so amazing, and I I don't know about for you, but for me, and I say this in a loving and gentle way, when I looked at some of the folks in that office and how successful they were, thinking that I certainly had, you know, at least the same level of skill set. So if they could do it, clearly it's been done and I could do it too. That was. You know, kind of reassuring to me to see that others had gone before they'd done it, and I felt that my skill set was certainly at least comparable to some of them, and maybe maybe that potentially played in in your mindset as well.
2: I, I think that anybody that enters a new job, they certainly size themselves up against everybody. It was just kind of the competitive nature of of what I grew up with, playing a lot of sports. And you look at somebody else, and you hear what they say, and you see what they're doing, and you just you ask yourself if they can do it, can you? And do they have better skills or do they have a better work ethic? And probably like you, I looked at everybody else and said, okay, if I'm the first one in the office and the last one to leave and I can apply some knowledge and just grow a little bit each and every day, then I should be able to make it like them. So yeah, that was encouraging to say. I don't think there was any, I wasn't around a bunch of superstars that were well above and intimidating to the point where, you know, I cowered at the opportunity or, you know, cowered towards it. And that was helpful. So, yeah, I probably share a, a similar sentiment that you did.
0: So you've touched on a couple of things. I'm always interested in what people attribute this, their success to because you've really built a wonderful firm. And I heard you kind of teeter around a couple. And maybe if you want to define that a little bit more, I heard you talk about tenacity. I heard you talk about work ethic. You know, just sort of the drive. I heard you talk about competitiveness, which stemmed maybe from athletics and you carried into career. Are there other things that you would point to, or certain key things that you think have helped you? Because at some point that gets you started, and I think it's more substantive things that keep you going, right? Which is certain knowledge, which is skill, which is commitment. You know, service orientation, how you treat your clients. So there are probably attributes that help you get off to a, a good start to succeed early on. But probably a different set of attributes and values. I'm going to say, in addition to attributes that allow someone to be successful long term, doing what we do.
2: Uh, no, no question about it. And I was, as I was reflecting on kind of the history of my career and what's remained the same and what's changed and what continues to change, and and how to kind of grab a hold of of those characteristics or just identify that which has remained the same and has been different. I tell you that for anybody out there still, and I'm not sure how long it's going to last, if it's going to be forever, but still the number one ingredient towards success in anything that you do, whether it's wealth advisory services or it's anything, there is no substitute, I think, for hard work. I just don't think you can get around it. I don't think there are any shortcuts. And whether you want to be a professional athlete, a wealth advisor, CPA, if you you just want to be, someone on top of your game, and not just average, there's no replacing hard work. So that has remained the case for sure. And what has evolved for me, there are some very pivotal times in my career where I just realized, geez, I can't do this myself. And I'm I'm paying attention to the landscape, and I'm paying attention to what the industry is going through and where more of the successes are taking place. And realize that I just can't do it myself, so I've got to set aside this whole this whole and I'm embarrassed to say, but it was it was a prideful person and it was an egotistical person that said I can figure it out all by myself and I can do it all by myself and be the c e o and the c o o and the the tax advisor and the asset manager and the administrator. I could do it all, but at some point in time, you just hit that wall and you just you you hopefully wake up like I did and realize I need some help and so that was a pivotal time in my career. And that's when I met my first partner, that was Frank Perfetto. And he had a a career in uh, portfolio management. He had been with Putnam Investments for about 15 years. And we got together and we talked and hit it off. And that was just one of a few significant steps that we took along the way that said, in order for me to evolve and become who I want to become and to help our clients get serviced in a particular way. I need help along the way. And so those are a couple of reflections, the hard work being the, hey, there's never a replacement for that, just plain and simple. And I could stop there, and, but then I can move on and just reflect on some of the important moves that have happened over the career.
0: Yeah, I think that's super helpful because you sort of circle things back to where you started talking about the importance of team. And it's an interesting notion, right? Just thinking back to the time that you had and the interest that you had in sports early on and this concept that in most sports, I mean, there are a few, but in most sports, you don't win unless you have a strong team. Great players can do fine personally, but the team can't do fine and, and the enterprise won't move forward unless it's sort of a group effort. So talk a little bit about how you developed that team and maybe even how you Share responsibilities across that team and ownership because I think, you know, people sometimes come to the conclusion and others never figure out that you can only go so far on your own. And there are certain things that you and I and others are really good at and other things that we can sort of get by at. But if we focus on, as Dan Sullivan kind of calls it, our unique ability and surround ourselves with talent, we build out that dream team that you're referring to. That's yes. how you really build scalable, enduring businesses. And you've done that well. So I'd love to hear how you kind of identify the talent brought people in and you've got a kind of a I think a fairly interesting setup where you is and correct me if I'm wrong but you is kind of the primary business driver and rainmaker surrounded by a lot of, a lot of other very valuable and talented people share equity across that team and is that something that you maybe could shed a little light on
2: Uh yes I there's <laughs> there's a lot of different components to the the statements you're making right there and, and the the first thing I'd say is that I was a, an early believer and the concept of if I can just organize a group of people and and, and get more people into the group that were great, great people that were talented, you know, shared the same morals and values and interests of hard work, dedication, commitment, growth, fun personalities, and, you know, similar personalities to a large degree, then that was going to be my driver, number one. Okay. I I know I need some help. So let's just get great people on the bus, the Stephen Covey concept. And, and that really worked well, you know, starting with Frank and then bringing Mary on board and then bringing Kevin on board, so on and so forth. Getting great people on the bus with similar personalities, characteristics, unwavering philosophies for business and personal life was number one. And I made plenty of mistakes. And I realized that there are times that the, ro- the wrong person was on the bus, so they had to get off the bus. But when they were on there, we were able to do some pretty fun things and to create a business platform that best service our clients, best service each other, and have fun along the way, and and if we were all committed, then it was going to work out. Now, and that create that, that'll that required a lot of creative thought because when you know, for example, when Frank first came on board at Merrill Lynch, he couldn't be just a PM, and we couldn't just pay him hundreds of thousands of dollars to manage the assets. I I didn't have the the revenue to to, to justify that, or when Kevin came on straight out of college, I couldn't ask him to go, you know, hunt and gather at age twenty two or twenty three to add to the bottom line. And we had to get creative in the way that we approached the business creation, but it all started with great people. That's the unwavering piece. So fast forward to, we have a bunch of great people on the team. We have now hit kind of a new, a new inflection point, a new pivotal point in our in our company's path where that philosophy and concept worked for a really long time and it worked really well and it got us to where we are today. But now we have to rethink, we have to reorganize and just become a little bit more refined in who does what, how they do it, and give them a a greater sense of clarity and perspective as to what their future looks like within our company and celebrate that and support it and make sure that their skill sets are right for that position and they have the same passion and hard work ethic as well. So there's been a lot of iterations, a lot of mistakes that have been made, but getting the the right people on the bus and then figuring out where to position them and then collaborate with them instead of dictate has been it's been some really meaningful, you know, parts of the the growth that I've gone through and that we've had success uh, dealing with.
0: So when you think about the success that you guys have had, obviously the, the clients and the client experience is a huge aspect of that, right? You can assemble a great team, but if you're not bringing in clients and retaining clients and growing clients, you know that's that's a pretty significant component. And we talked a little bit early on about the asset management, debt management, estate planning, and retirement and forecasting and all that stuff. If you looked from the client's eye view, you know what do you kind of perceive the strength of the practice to be from a value prop standpoint? What do you think your clients value most about the service advice that you provide? Give us a little insight into that, Mark.
2: Yeah, I hope, and you'll have to ask them, but if you ask me, my hope is that first and foremost, that they'll, they'll consider us as really honest, experienced, trustworthy, capable, and performance-driven people and, or a company. We hope that to be what they think or how they describe us and ultimately giving them peace of mind and trust. Now, we do that certainly by way of making sure that our offering is in our how we run our practice at first and foremost is to service them appropriately. And you can take a mindset as a company owner is I'm going to only do this or that but early on in my career, and you know, really thanks in, in large part to Merrill Lynch, that in order for us to, to remain relevant and to evolve and to grow, I think that all of our clients want to make sure that all of their wealth management affairs are taken care of with one advisory person or team. We thought that the team was the right way to go in terms of the more competitive offering. But for them to know that they can call us up and ask any financial question of concern that we'll be able to address or partner and outsource to and just essentially solve for was something that we wanted to um, evolve into, you know, pun intended, I guess. Uh, We didn't want somebody to do their life insurance over there and their asset management over here and their financial planning consulting over there and in other offerings with different advisors. We wanted to be able to be that quarterback and that person that could give them one call to make that allows for all of their affairs to be addressed appropriately and sometimes collaboratively with other professionals. But that's what we wanted to offer is it was, it was similar to you know, the family office offerings that exist. It made sense to me. I ran with it and we kind of build out built out our offering accordingly to make sure that We kept everyone else away from the clients and, you know, selfishly just wanted to own the clients in that relationship and and steer them accordingly. And they they felt really good about that.
0: That makes a lot of sense. From a business development standpoint, have there been any particular strategies? Has it been primarily referral-based? Is there any type of marketing? Do you guys have any niches that you've served where you've developed sort of an expertise, a subject matter expertise or otherwise? How would you... Kind of identify what the premise has been from a marketing and business development standpoint, and has that changed over the years?
2: Uh, yeah, <laughs> it, cer- it certainly has. I mean, if you go back to the first five years of the business, it was okay. You know, dial that phone as many times as possible, and co-calling it was the way to do it, and that was the only way I knew how to do it at age twenty-four, and that was the only opportunity because I wasn't networked into a bunch of wealthy families or an environment that was um, available to me. So,
0: so similar to me was your original target market. Someone who was alive, had at least $10,000 and had a remote level of interest in hearing what I had to say. That's probably how I would define my early market. <laughs>
2: yeah. If they could fog a mirror and they had a few bucks, that was probably a qualified, <laughs> a qualified prospect for sure. And then thankfully, dad along the way said, You know, as you work hard and you'll continue to be one of the hardest working guys out there, try to get a little smarter along the way. And so at times I just had to pick my head up a little bit and talk to other people, learn from them and see what they were doing. Cause, and this was a part of the whole, you know, journey towards wisdom or gaining some more wisdom. I realized that team structures were popping up. I realized that business development was happening not by way of, You know, cold calling anymore. It was going to be seminars or going to be more intimate client events and, you know, asking for referrals. So the progression has been for me and our company, it's been, you know, cold calling to start, stay in the business. Some people leave the business and you get these reassigned. So you you pick up a couple of relationships that way. And then you start doing some seminars and then you start doing some networking. And you're trying different things that fit well for you, but seem to have some traction in the in the world that I was living in at the time. So we did that rather successfully. I remember a lot of the seminars we did, and this was early on when Frank was a part of the the group, and that was that was great. That was fun, and it was productive. And then somebody started talking about centers of influence, and we started to spend a little bit more time there. So for the lion's share of, I'd say the last you know, five to 10 years, our focus has been on serving the clients incredibly well and making the referral process soft enough, but diligent enough where we could continue to grow in that space and identifying client advocates. So that has been kind of the cornerstone. That's been the bread and the butter. It's coming from, you know, referrals from existing clients. We have expanded the network of COIs. So we're, I think we're getting some traction there and more and more as each year goes by. So we focus our attention there. The area that, you know, if you talk about an evolving landscape or changing landscape, you know, I was, I'm the old fashioned guy. You know, just there's nothing like face to face time. But as the Internet and technology has grown and the digital platforms exist and social medias, um, I, I got left behind. And now we are faced with okay, what are we going to do with their marketing and advertising efforts? Because we are hitting a little bit of a wall. We're still growing, but in terms of our capacity to grow and our interest to grow, we have to look at that very seriously. And we're doing that right now so that we'll probably have for the first time, you know, we've got a website and we've got a little bit of presence on LinkedIn, I think it is. And we put out some market commentary and newsletters from our PM or Frank, but we're gonna spend a lot of time trying to just listen to what else is going on out there and what's successfully happening and apply that to in our own practice. And we'll do it in such a way that I don't think it'll be too burdensome and we'll look to outsource and we're interviewing and talking to marketing advertising companies now just get better at that. So, you know, full circle, how has it changed the business development piece? It's It's gone from the cold calling to the seminars, to the centers of influence, to the referrals, to, you know, perhaps a new push in the marketing, digital advertising that can take place. That's been the the, the broad-based. And what's, what's kind of interesting as well, to your point, where I, I have been tasked to be more in that rainmaking space. So if if I need to create some bandwidth to go out there and meet with people, talk to people, close new relationships and opportunities, then we have been creative or smart enough to realize that the other people, the other let's say eight advisors that are currently or eight professional staff members that are on the team, they've got to create some efficiencies within that allows more bandwidth for me or for others to go to go do that or continue to do that so we've been you know pretty decent about getting super efficient with client service modeling and how we execute so that we find the time that everybody struggles to find to go do that
0: so you mentioned referrals being a key part of it without going into too much depth can you talk about how you go about that? You said that you do it in sort of a gentle way, but it's still effective. I'm curious when you introduce it and is there sort of a process around it or is it just a simple acknowledgement that, hey, an important way that we grow is. So I'm just wondering, are you specifically asking for names? When do you introduce that process and what just a little bit? What does that look like?
2: Yeah, I, I think that when, and this is going back, you know, roughly 15 years or so when Frank came into the mix and it, and Frank will just, he'll attest to the fact that, you know, this whole, business development concept. It was it was foreign to him and different to him, but we had to then really commit to a strategy that was going to give us a better opportunity for referrals. So we made it very systematic that every time that we're meeting with a client and we're going through an agenda top to bottom of their financial planning, investment management affairs, that we end. We close after we have you know really built some great credibility. We have given them peace of mind that everything is being addressed appropriately to say thank you and to stop in that space for a while during the meeting to talk about our our gratitude for the relationship and their help. We really wanted to just grab their help in trying to grow the practice. So if you don't mind, can we talk a little bit now about, you know, Extended Family Friends Network? And sometimes we'd have names to go with, but we'd always have it as a part of the agenda that became systematic for us. And when you do that, when you just, when you continue to spend time in that discussion in a soft manner, and that just fits our personality, we think that it's almost impossible not to have the dividends paid. Somebody once said, if you continue to play in traffic, you'll eventually get hit. So we just wanted to make sure that we played in traffic all the time relative to how we service our clients, talking about referrals or talking about the extension around them or the, the circle of their friends, family, colleagues around them.
1: So that's my, yeah, best. that all,
0: that all makes, that all makes sense. I mean, so I like the fact that it's in writing, it's on the agenda. So you're. Letting them know that there's an expectation to have that conversation. Part of it's earning the right to ask, right? You've got to feel good and you've got to make sure they feel good that there's been a significant value add and that you've been a really good advisor. Mm -hmm. And I think part where the, that used the word earlier, just confidence and, you know, in yourself and Veritas, I think the origin of your name has to do with sort of trust and integrity. And, you know, if all those things are implied, wouldn't they want other people who they know to have the same caliber of advice that they've had? So, I think all that makes sense. Let's switch as we're kind of on this theme of growth still. You I think are on sort of a new pathway, Veritas is on a new pathway with your first kind of experiment in inorganic growth. You had someone join your team who's gonna continue to run their practice and has got a really nice business, but they joined the team with the notion that there was a pathway to exit at a future date. And I wonder if you just talk, you know, in whatever frame you can, sort of about that concept and about what your aspirations would be for helping others with succession planning and letting acquisitions or inorganic growth be a part of the future growth of Veritas.
2: Yeah. Yeah, certainly an exciting time. And and usually when you foray into something new and different, oftentimes that first go around not very successful. And, and thankfully... With the due diligence that we all did going into this merger, it's really working out well. And you've heard it many, many times before. But the keyest, the the most important ingredient to the success is to make sure that philosophies, culture, people, personalities, life ambitions, and you know, moral fabrics that fits first and foremost. And it it, it so in in terms of Gail and Jen joining Veritas, the caliber of the person that I don't think should ever be compromised and you find as a good fit to your personality and what you're trying to accomplish with each other, amongst each other, and with clients, if there's a fit there, then that's what's going to allow us to continue on the path of a potential merger. So we found that we had, we we knew each other well from the industry. We worked really well together. In the past, we actually crossed paths while at Merrill. So I felt really good about how to pursue getting another couple of great people on the bus. And then it just became a question of trying to get creative with the vision of how does this play out? And what's right for her, Gail, who's going to you know, perhaps think about retirement in the next five or six years, and Jen, who has tremendous skills, but also other advisory-like interests to pursue herself. It became my, my challenge to just make sure that the vision, the future vision of how this can play out and how this integration can happen now and evolve over time to be successful that's where i spent most of my time so a lot of discussions you know what do you want and you know what are you looking for and what are your goals and objectives personally professionally and and then finding a path or a vision that that we could jump on to and 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 play out and and so far the uh the 6 9 months that we've been doing this we're on the right path and it it's really exciting to think about our future together with them and potentially with others that are interested in you know something similar but that's uh that's how i'd characterize this pivotal change and and the success behind it and why
0: yeah and i think you you're onto something there because i think about the conversations that i have which are literally daily as it results to people thinking about their future their exit plan and what it might look like And to me, the most impactful thing that you said was sort of that treating her almost like a client, asking, what are the goals? What are you trying to accomplish? And kind of creating a bespoke solution that allowed her to come in, work for a certain period of time, exit with some clarity as to what that exit might look like. And the fact that you could customize something like that makes you look different than others who sometimes just have a cookie cutter approach. So that flexibility, if, if you can do it, by the way, not all businesses can do that, but if you have the ability to be flexible, to understand what someone's looking to solve for the same way you try to understand what your clients are trying to solve for, I think right. it can potentially lead to, you know, more favorable outcomes, all sides. And I think you also saw something there. Your interest wasn't only strong in Gail, but you knew that she had a right-hand person who was also talented and capable. And you probably saw an asset in that for Veritas as well, that, you know, the, the two were the, sort of the two assets there were equally of interest to you—a really talented team member as well as a great advisor that you could make a partner and then help, you know, create an exit plan for. So that flexibility, I think, was important.
2: Yeah, that's uh, that's a great word to finish with, and that's flexibility. Uh, I've realized over time that uh, I have to be more flexible and more open-minded and a little bit more creative. So, that I'm just looking beyond myself. And now we're looking at the collective group, and therefore I have to flex into hey, what's important to you, Gail, Jen, Frank, Mary, Dan? What are, when you start thinking about and incorporating their interests, goals, objectives, just like a client, just like you're saying, and if you can cater to that and create a vision, a strategy that can execute on their. Again, personal, professional goals and their skill sets and their work ethic. You start positioning that correctly, I think it's impossible to not be successful. So that was a, um, those are aha aha moments and little winks along the way that thankfully I paid attention to.
0: Yeah, well, I think you're on a great path. I guess uh, my only final question is any particular goals or aspirations or thoughts that, that you want to share relative to the future of the business and maybe any closing words of advice. I think you've actually given a lot already to advisors who are seeking to expand their business and kind of grow their team. Any final words of advice for other yeah. other advisors listening and maybe just a, a snapshot of your hopes for Veritas in the coming years.
1: Yeah.
2: I, I guess the final comment that I'd make around the whole issue of, you know, what's the future look like or what do we want it to look like or what are we thinking about it starts by simply asking yourself the question do you want to continue to grow or not and and i've always lived by the philosophy that you're either growing or dying and i always you know maintain that perspective of growth now if you have the interest to grow your practice and grow into the future that comes with responsibility and that responsibility requires you to get off the treadmill and to think about how to best do that and for us it was to make sure that we organized and collected a, a bunch of like-minded individuals and then when i take on the responsibility or I, I put it on myself i guess is to make sure that you know them and their families and 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 their kids and their friends You know, get a happy person and somebody that can, you know, be fired up about getting out of bed in the morning and going to work because it's going to be, it's going to be accretive to who they are as in personal development. um, Then that that becomes kind of the driving force. So if you want to grow, figure out what it is that you need to do in order to grow and stay relevant. We think that that's going to be expanding the team offering, the team credibility, the team expertise, skill sets. And then, as uh, somebody who's kind of flying more from the 30,000 foot level, make sure that you collaborate, collaborate, and integrate and bring them along for the ride with a voice and with a passion and interest that can be satisfied as well. And in, your, in yours doing that, and serving others, employees and clients, then a big win. And I think we're on the right track and we're going to make mistakes. and But that's okay, because those mistakes will lead us to a higher ground, a better ground for everybody.
0: Well, that's, that's wonderful. And it's insightful. And obviously, most importantly, it's working with all the success you've had with your firm. So thanks so much for sharing that. We're going to move to wrap with our podcast karaoke. So can you share who will be singing and what will be sung.
2: Now that baseball is back in the swing of things, we thought that uh, an all-time classic would be appropriate for our karaoke song. So here you have it. Take me out to the ball game. Take me out to the crowd. Buy me some peanuts and Cracker Jacks. I don't care if I ever get back, let me root, root, root for the Red Sox. If they don't win, it's a shame, cause it's one, two, three strikes, you're out at the O.
1: Advisors associated with Stratus Wealth Partners may be either, one, registered representatives with and securities offered through LPL Financial, member FINRA SIPC, and investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners, or two, solely investment advisor representatives of Stratus Wealth Partners and not affiliated with LPL Financial. Investment advice offered through Stratus Wealth Partners, a registered investment advisor, and separate entity from LPL Financial.
0: Thanks for listening to The Evolving Advisor. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and share it with your colleagues. And if you would like to talk about succession planning or practice acquisitions, please drop us a line. We would love to help you in any way we can.